Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we're going to be in two different passages again this, uh, this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, just to begin uh, with... Uh, every week we'll be in Mark chapter 12, so if you have like a bookmark or something that you normally uh, keep in your Bible, that might be a good place to mark it so that the next uh, few weeks as we continue this series, you're already in Mark chapter 12. But we're going to read those verses in Mark chapter 12, and then we're also going to be in First John chapter number 4. First John chapter number 4 this morning. So Mark chapter 12 and First John chapter number four, and we're really going to unpack, of course, every single week we're unpacking what the Lord said in uh, Mark chapter 12, and when he was asked a specific question, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And of course, the man who was asking it was looking for a specific type of rule that was given somewhere in the law that they could follow. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about a specific rule or even a set of rules to follow Uh, It's about a relationship, a relationship with God and a relationship with the people that you interact with. And uh, he said this, the greatest commandment isn't governed by some kind of law, it's it's governed by love. And we unpack that a lot in our, uh, our Vision Sunday, right toward the beginning of the year as we looked forward to Uh, this theme and how it was going to shape us this year, loving God and loving people, having a consuming love, an all-consuming love that takes part in every single aspect of our life. And specifically in this series, we're seeing how that transpires by loving with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And uh, that's specifically what Jesus said. And so last week we looked at loving with all of our heart. We're going to really unpack this week, loving with all of our soul. Loving with all of our soul. What does that mean? How does that happen? And I want us to see that today. So Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. The Bible says this. And Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now uh, go over to 1 John chapter number 4. We're going to read a good uh, portion of scripture and then dive into what it all uh, unpacks for us today. But 1 John chapter number 4, starting in verse 7. Starting in verse 7. The Bible says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, 
God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I don't know about you, but when I first read that passage, it seemed disjointed. Did it sound, I mean, the statements uh, seem to just... Uh, not, not flow as well. It's not the way that I speak. Uh, but w- as I unpacked really the, the passage, what I started to see was that John, in 1 John chapter 4, what he does is he, he does a, a great communication tool. Two, really, he, he does this. First of all, he's very repetitive. <laughs> he says the same thing about six different times in six different ways uh, to really unpack for us that love is the core of who we are. And, and I hope we'll see that as, as we unpack it. But he also does this. Uh, as, as a good communicator does, normally when you're uh, in a uh, public speaking class or, uh, or specifically like in Bible college when I was in a preaching class, things like that, they tell you to do this. Uh, introduction, body, and then conclusion. And they always say it this way. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. And then tell them what you told them. That's what they say. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. All right? And that's really what I see John doing. He, he starts in verse 7 and 8 saying, hey, this is what I'm going to tell you. Then he unpacks and tells us, and then he ends at the end by saying, now this is what I told you. <laughs> okay? And that's really what we're, I hope we're going to see as we unpack the passage today. But before we even dive into it, let's just take a moment again with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's prepare our own hearts just to listen to God to hear from him and ask him to speak to us, whatever he speaks to us about, that we would respond to him. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity now that we have to be in your word and be able to see what you have for us in it. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given me and afforded me to be able to proclaim your truth and be able to Uh, Lord, stand before people and just tell them what you've said from your word. God, I don't take it lightly and I'm humbled by it, but I know, Lord, I can't do it without you. And so I'm asking, God, you would speak through me. Uh, uh, Lord, uh, these are your people and I know that you want to speak to each and every one of us individually and corporately. And so I pray, God, that you would do just that. Use me as a tool in your hand to just help us to learn and grow in our love for you and for people. We love you. We thank you for this time that we have, and we pray that you bless it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How many of you? Uh, how many of you would say you're a cook? 
you, you like to cook. A few of you, all right. How many of you men do the cooking in your marriage? Anybody do that? Good. Oh, man, ah, Greg, you make us all look bad. All right, and then uh, I'm not a very good cook, but I do know how to, uh, I do know how to make spaghetti. All right, and to make spaghetti, uh, you have to have a certain amount and a certain type of ingredients to make spaghetti, okay? I, I, uh, spaghetti is one of the easiest things to ever make. If you've never made spaghetti, just look up a recipe on YouTube or something. It's super easy. Anyone can make spaghetti, okay? Uh, but you do have to have a certain amount of things to make spaghetti, okay? I see, uh, first of all, when you make spaghetti, you have to have a pot, right? You have to have a pot, put some water in it. You've got to have water, okay? Put the water in the pot, boil it on a stove. Uh, but you've got to have a pot. You've got to have water. You have to have a, uh, something to stir with, okay? I, I know that you have to have that in order to make spaghetti. Uh, you, you have to have meatballs. If you're going to make some good spaghetti, you got to have meatballs. Now, I, some of you are super fancy and you make your own meatballs, okay? You buy ground beef or something and you, I'm not like that. In fact, the only reason I even have these, which is actual ground beef made into meatballs, is because the store I went to didn't have frozen meatballs. Ain't nobody got time to make my own meatballs, okay? So if I'm just being honest, when I make it, it's frozen meatballs. That's it. That's it. Uh, but you got to have meatballs, okay? And then you got to have, you got to have uh, some tomato sauce, okay, some marinara sauce, you, you got Yo Mama's, okay, that's not a Yo Mama joke, that's the brand of this, this sauce, okay, Yo Mama's uh, tomato sauce, it, it's great to put into spaghetti, and to go along with spaghetti, you got to have some French bread, okay, now even better, uh, but this is cheaper, this is why I did this, okay, but even better is when they have some kind of French bread, they slice it all up, and they lather a bunch of butter and garlic all in there, Ooh. Yeah, okay, that's, that's even better to go along with spaghetti, uh, is you got to have some French bread or um, some garlic bread to go along with your spaghetti. And that's how you make spaghetti, right? Oh no, I think I'm missing something, right? I'm missing something, a key ingredient to spaghetti. What am I missing? Spaghetti, right? Like, the very definition of spaghetti warrants that I have spaghetti noodles, right? You, uh, you can't have pasta without pasta, okay? If you make pasta without pasta, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to come eat at your house, okay? Here, you want to come get these so they don't go bad, Rebecca? She's like, we're not wasting those. They're not staying out the whole sermon. <clears throat> And to be honest, she's the one who makes the food in the house. I, I don't make food. But I know how to make spaghetti. And I do know that when, when you make spaghetti, like, you have to have spaghetti noodles. Otherwise, you just have, like, meat soup. <laughs> okay, right? Uh, pasta or spaghetti, by its very definition, means that you have pasta or that you have spaghetti. And what I want us to see today as we unpack what it means by loving with all of our soul is that being a Christian by its very definition by its very definition means we have love by its very definition we have love if we are truly a Christian and the reason I say that is that word soul loving with all of our soul okay which is what we're unpacking the idea of today That word soul has huge and many implications. If you were to look up the Greek word there used to translate into English soul, 
It's the Greek word suke. Suke, which uh, the closest transliteration or uh, just turning that word into an English word would be what we call psyche. Okay, uh, that would be the closest uh, transliteration of our word. It would be psyche. It's, it's the word suke, and in Greek, it has lots of different meanings and lots of different implications. The, uh, this Greek word is used over a hundred times in the New Testament, and uh, each time it, it can give a different implication or different sort of spin on the meaning. It can mean uh, the breath of life. The word soul or the word suke can mean literally the breath of life, the, uh, as in someone actually having life in them and you're still breathing. That's the implication in Matthew chapter 2 when the angel tells Joseph that Herod, King Herod, is coming after all the children and specifically his child. He's after the young child's life. And that word life is suke, the breath of life. He wants to end that living soul uh, is what that implication is. That, so the word suke could mean literally breath of life, that we have life within us, that we're just living. Uh, the word can also mean the eternal part of a person that lives on forever in either heaven or hell. This is the implication when Jesus says, uh, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his own soul? Uh, that you have everything in this world but you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and because of that you lose your own soul. That for eternity uh, you would spend that, etern that eternal state in a place called hell. That, uh, it, it could have that implication. The, in the eternal part of us that lives on forever one day in either heaven or hell. The word can also mean uh, the inmost being of a person. Uh, like, like when someone says, man, I feel that in my soul. Like I just feel that on a deep level. Uh, that, that's the implication when uh, in John chapter 10, the disciples say uh, that they're doubting. Man, we, we have doubt. It's in, inwardly, we just have doubt, Jesus. And when Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, now is my soul troubled. Like I, I feel it within me. I, I am troubled in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said that. That's the implication there of the word soul in those ways. The word could also mean uh, not just someone's inmost, nat uh, inmost being of just how you feel things, but also uh, your inmost spiritual nature. That, that seems to be the implication when Mary, after hearing the news that she would uh, be, bear the Son of God uh, as a virgin, someone who had never known a man, uh, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, in the God who saves. I my soul and my spirit are magnifying and rejoicing in the Lord at this time. That, that would be her inmost spiritual nature. From a spiritual nature, she's, she's magnifying the Lord. And the word could even also implicate someone's complete identity. Uh, that that the, the very way that we see ourselves and that people see us is, is it, our, our full identity, our full psyche, okay, so to say, uh, that seems to be the implication when Jesus says uh, that whoever will, uh, will uh, keep his life uh, will lose it. And then when he says anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. When Jesus said the word life there, uh, the implication is you, you lose your own identity and find your identity in me. Then you're truly going to find identity that's going to last. Yours is going to crumble, and so when it crumbles, when you lose that, then you'll be able to truly find your identity, your, your inmost purpose in me. And so the word could also implicate 
uh, even our very identity. So uh, seeing that, that this word is, is very deep, okay? The word soul is, is very deep in nature. And whereas last week talking about the heart uh, kind of took us down the road of motivation, that love is what motivates us to do thing and things and really involves, uh, loving from the heart really involves loving from sort of love from an emotional uh, point of view Whereas that was last week, this week when talking about loving with all of our soul, we're, we're more talking about a love that uh, is of a spiritual nature. Not so much a, a, an emotional nature, but of a spiritual nature. The idea is that love is not just an emotion uh, that we feel or some specific action that we take, although it is those things. The idea is that love is who we are. Love is who we are. Uh, it, it's, it's literally at our core, we are to be defined by love. Uh, defined by the fact that we are loved by God, but then also defined by the fact that we are loving. Love is, is our very definition. It's the core of Christianity. It, in all those implications, love is, is like what gives us life. Love is, is what everything flows out of. It's what we feel on the inside. It's, it's where we find our identity is in love. All of those implications are really what this means. That the very core of us, to, to love with all of our soul, means that our very definition of who we are and, and how people would define us, our very identity is love. But for, for love to be our identity, to be defined by love, loving with all of our soul actually comes by a specific process. Uh, and, I, and that's what I really want us to unpack in 1 John chapter number 4, because I believe the Apostle Paul outlines this process for us so wonderfully in our passage today. And he says it in these three ways. I'll give you the three points, and then, and then we'll unpack each one of them. He says this, okay? He says, first of all, uh, for it to truly be who you are, first of all, you have to know the love of God, Okay? You have to know the love of God. Then second, he says, you have to grow in the love of God. And then lastly, he says, you have to show the love of God. For it to be everything that you are, okay, it first starts by knowing the love of God. It, grow, it, it, it cultivates and, and flows out of you even more when you grow in the love of God. And then ultimately, it's naturally going to make you show the love of God. That's, that's really what I see here in our passage, 1 John chapter 4. And so first of all, let's unpack that first point, that we must know the love of God. For, for love to be our very definition, the, the very thing that from our core is who we are, first of all, we, we must know the love of God. He says, he, uh, everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Uh, and, and then he unpacks for us how we can really know that love. First of all, he says in verse 9 and 10, he says uh, that God's love is revealed or displayed through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Verse 9 and 10, it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only, son, uh, his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through, it, through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or the substitute atonement sacrifice is really what that propitiation for our sins. Uh, he was going to stand in our place to pay for our sins. So uh, he says, to know the love of God, first of all, you gotta know where the love of God was most perfectly displayed. Where was that most perfectly displayed? On the cross, in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Verse 14 even says, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is how he displayed his love to us. Uh, God, in, in his love and his mercy and his grace, saw the state of which man was in because of the beginning of time when Adam uh, and, and Eve, they fell and, and they brought sin into the world. It says that by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. And because sin has a price, uh, that price needed to be paid. And God, in, his, uh, in, in all of his love and mercy, made a plan and made a way for that price to be paid. And the way that he displayed that love and grace by paying that price was by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come here on this earth to die in our place for our sins. The Bible tells us very clearly that God's love was demonstrated, Romans 5, 8, that he was demonstrated, it was commended to us, it was shown in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That God showed us that love. It was manifested, as John says here in this chapter, to us by his, uh, by his work on the cross. So to know the love of God, first of all, we gotta know uh, that it was displayed, it was revealed through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. But I love this because although it was displayed in one act, most perfectly, uh, we see God's love all throughout Scripture. Uh, and, and we've talked a little bit about the fact that the Bible uh, is all about the gospel from the Old Testament and all of time. Uh, the writing of the Old Testament points to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. And then the gospels and even the book of Acts unpacks for us what took place in the life of Jesus and how that took place. And then everything after what Jesus did on the cross and by dying and being buried and rising again Everything else after that is really the implications of how that is going to impact us in our life. Uh, but, but God's love is all throughout Scripture. One man said it this way, that though the love of God was once and for all manifested, shown in the sacrifice of his well-beloved Son, that which was manifested in a moment of time is nevertheless the, the revelation of the eternal attitude of God toward man. Could we have gazed into the heart of God before the creation of the material universe, we would have seen every provision then made for his lamb to be slain for the sin of the world. Could we now gaze into the heart of God, we would see the same undiminished compassion for the loss that was expressed in the death of his son. The momentary death of Christ was not a spasm in the divine affection, as this man, what this man says. It's the announcement to a lost world of the fact of God's eternal and unchangeable love. So God's love was perfectly and ultimately displayed in the act of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross for all of the sin of the world, but uh, God's love has always been uh, working toward that perfect display and flowing out of that perfect display is really what that man is trying to say. If we were to look into the heart of God at any time in the point of history, we would see love in the heart of God. God is love. Jesus died as a substitute in our place for the payment of sin and, and his love for us cannot be swayed. 
It was perfectly displayed for us on the cross, and his love for us cannot be swayed. There, there's an, I love this thought of knowing the love of God. When we truly know the love of God, we understand this. There is nothing that you can uh, or cannot do to change the fact that God loves you. <laughs> nothing we can do or cannot do uh, can change the fact that God loves us. He, he will never love you any more or any less than he does at this very moment in your life. Uh, he loves you with an everlasting and a perfect love. In other words, God's love for me is not any more, any more even at like this moment as I declare his word. He, he, I, I believe he's pleased with what I'm doing in the act of preaching God's word, but God's love for me is no more right now in the fact that I'm doing this than it is later today when I'm going to be sitting on the couch watching football. God's love for me is the same in both areas. Now, he may be more pleased with my decisions to do things that have eternal value than to waste my life doing other things, but it doesn't change how much he loves me. Does that make sense? That, that no matter what I do or don't do, God's love for me is the same throughout my life. God loves me the same amount when I'm doing something inconsequential like checking the mail as he does when I'm at a coffee shop having a gospel conversation with someone. And, and, and if you've ex accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation, then you've experienced at, at the very least in one great moment this kind of love. The, the love that was displayed on the cross when Jesus took our place, if you've accepted that free gift of salvation, you've experienced that love, at least in one great moment of your life, that you've experienced that love. Uh, see, the, the love of God, it cannot be imparted to us, in, in, or it, it's not the imparted love of God, I should say. The, the love that he imparts to us it's not something that we can cultivate or work up. And it's not something that we can uh, produce by the flesh or things that we do. The, the imparted love of God is just the normal ex experience of those who have accepted him in faith. Uh, we know this love when we accept his gift of salvation. See, this is the starting point. This is the starting point of loving with all of our soul. Uh, this, this is the starting point of love being the very definition of who we are, is that we know the love of God, the love that was displayed on the cross. Well, how do we come to know that love? We accept his gift of love through belief and confession. In verse 15 of our passage, he says, Hereby know we, uh, no, sorry, that's verse 13, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Uh, how, so, knowing the love of God, first of all, we've we got to know where that love was displayed. It was on the cross when Jesus took our, our place. But how do we accept that love? We do so by believing in our hearts and by confessing with our mouths. Specifically, John says if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then we know that God dwells in us and that we dwell in Him. Paul wrote in Romans that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. With the heart we believe, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then he ends that whole thought by saying, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and so how, how do we experience that love? And, and take this first step of knowing the love of God, we accept his free gift of salvation. He displayed it on the cross for us. And because 
of our sin, we, we are separated from God, but, but we can accept that free gift and know that we're in, we've entered into that relationship with him. Does that make sense? That, that we, we know the love of God by entering into a relationship first with him and accepting this gift of love that he's displayed on the cross. And if you're here today and you've, you've never made that decision, uh, I pray that today would be the day that you make that. Maybe you have more questions about what that even implies or, or means, and uh, that would be something I'd, I'd love to show you from the Word of God, how you can know. But, but it starts with knowing God, the love, the, knowing the love of God that He's displayed for us on the cross by accepting that free gift. And then I love how John even tells us, okay, I, I, I've accepted that gift, or at least I think I have. How do I know if I've accepted the gift? How do I know that I know the love of God? And he tells us in verse 13 that when we accept that gift of love, that we receive the Holy Spirit. That we receive the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is how we know whether we belong to God or not. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. So how do I know if I have experienced or know the love of God, have taken that first step to accept his love and to accept his gift of salvation. How do I know that? Well, is the spirit of God living inside you? It's a great, uh, a great indicator to know whether God, uh, we know the love of God if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, is this if his spirit lives inside of us. It, it's similar to, uh, I think, of the movie Toy Story, some of you are like, what? What do you mean Toy Story? You're talking about the gospel and the love of God. Uh, I think of when you look at the, the first movie, uh, the owner of the toys, he did this thing where he wrote his name on the bottom of their foot. And consistently throughout the, the movie, uh, some of the toys would find comfort or encouragement to get back to their owner by remembering, I'm Andy's toy, looking down at their foot. It was like, it was like a sign that their owner had given to them, I belong to Andy. And in, in the same way, the Holy Spirit is given to us to comfort and to encourage us to know I belong to God. In Romans chapter uh, number 8, I think it is, somewhere around verse 9 or 10, he says uh, that you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you've accepted the gift of salvation, and if you be in, if, if so you be, I, I believe it says, that you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And is he, he says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, then he is none of his. He doesn't belong to him. So uh, just, again, going to say the point that uh, the Holy Spirit is how we know whether we know the love of God, that we have the Spirit living within us. It's, it's a constant reminder, this Holy Spirit's comfort and peace in us is a constant reminder to say, man, I know Jesus Christ. I know God and I know the love of God. Why? Because I know I have the Spirit living within me. I belong to God. He sealed me uh, with the Holy Spirit. And, and so the first point of loving God with our soul, really being defined by love, this is everything that we are and everything that we, uh, every, sorry, every way that we find who we are and that other people see who we are, the that loving with all of our soul, it begins by, first of all, knowing the love of God. Knowing the love of God by accepting Jesus' free gift of salvation and receiving the Holy Spirit. But from our initial experience of receiving Christ and coming to truly know the love of God, Paul, uh, John tells us that we also must 
grow in the love of God. So it, it starts by, we cannot truly be defined by love unless we know that love. But then we cannot truly be defined by that love unless we also grow in that love. He says in uh, verses 16 through 18, he says, we have known and believed the love that God hath for us. He says, we've known and believed that love that God has displayed on the cross. We know it. We've accepted it, okay? We know the love of God. But the next step is to grow in that love. Verse 16, he says, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect or, or complete that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Uh, so what John is trying to tell us is that knowing the love of God is the first step, but growing in the love of God is the next step. You might say, well, where do you see that, Micah? Well, I, I see it in two places. First of all, in verse 17, it says our love can be made perfect or made complete. That means that our love is not complete, our love is not complete when we accept Jesus Christ. His love is complete in that moment for us, but unless we grow in his love, uh, his love will not com be complete in us and through us uh, unless we grow in it. And then secondly, that word dwelleth that he uses in verse 16. Uh, it means to abide in his love or to remain in his love or uh, the, uh, another word that it's translated as is to continue in his love. That, it's the same word that Jesus says in John chapter 15 when he says, I, I, the Father has loved me and I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. Uh, continue moving forward in my love. Abide and remain. Uh, the idea is that you come to know the love of Christ, but you need to consistently grow in the love of Christ. I've said it often here, but one of the most beautiful parts of the gospel about the love of God is that the change it brings in our life doesn't end at salvation. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, a lot of, a lot of uh, things change. Our eternal destiny changes. Uh, our, our nature changes. We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin, and now we're made alive through Christ. A lot changes in that one moment of salvation. But the beautiful thing about the gospel and about the love of God is that he wants to consistently change us with his love uh, in a process that we call sanctification or making us more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. And John even says that in verse 17, that because as he is, so are we in this world. As we grow, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And then I love how he rounds out the thought about growing in the love of God, because he says this, as you mature, as you become more and more like Jesus Christ, as we grow in his love, then we realize we have no need to fear God. Uh, fear it says, has to do with torment or, or punishment, condemnation. But God is not a punitive God. Uh, when we grow in the love of God, when we are growing in our walks with God, we, we realize that we do what we do motivated and, and out of his love for us and our love for him rather than fear. Okay, a, a lot of people have this view of God. A lot of people have this view of God that, uh, that, is, that is he is a punitive God. 
that he just doles out punishment upon us uh, and that the, one way, the only way we can find favor with him or even some people take it as far to say the only way that you can be saved but uh, they say the only way that that can take place is for you to do things, uh, for you to, uh, to work at, at gaining that love and favor from him but, uh, and it's really out of a motivation of fear. Like, I fear what God might do to me in the judgment, as, as John says here, that we don't have to fear the judgment. Why? Because we know that God isn't a punitive God. In, in fact, you look at Romans chapter 6, it doesn't say the wages of God is death. Like, that, that we owe God death because of, of anything. It's the fact that sin demands a price. Okay? Sin demanded a price, and the wages of sin is death. And then that's why the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The love of God was then shown based upon the fact that if we were to pay for our sin, own sins, it would be dead. Does that, does that make sense? I'm, try, I'm trying to really help us see that growing in, the, growing in our love for God and in the love of God is going to take place uh, and it's going to flesh itself out in the fact that we do things not out of fear of God, but out of a love for God. Now there should, be, there, there should be a healthy fear of God. The Bible talks about the fear of God. Matthew Henry, I think it was, uh, said it this way. He said that we, we do need to distinguish between the fear of God and being afraid of God. Uh, the fear of God, as the Bible teaches, is a reverence. It, it uh, imports a high regard and respect and veneration for God. Uh, but being afraid of Him is then doing things uh, scared of what he might do to us. And what Matthew Henry said is that obedience and good works, the things that we do, when done from the principle of love, are not like servile toil of one who uh, just labors from the dread of their master's anger. When we're motivated by love and growing in that love, it's more so like a dutiful child who does services to a father that loves them. And, and that of which what they do is done willingly. So when we grow in the love of God, it's actually going to change uh, our view of God even that we see, man, he loves us so much, it just motivates me to do things for him. It motivates me to do things not out of fear, but out of love. It, it's a sign that our love is far from complete or perfect or growing when we see doubts or fears or apprehensions of God that take over our motivations or take over our thoughts and, and, and our feelings toward God. So we have to consistently grow in the, in the love of God. And the way we do that is by uh, being in a relationship with him and cultivating that each and every day. Oh, what I love, it's, it's almost a paradox, but, but the way that we grow in the love of God, in our relationship with God, is by investing our love back to him. It's almost like this. The way that I grow in my love for my wife is not by just consistently saying I love her. It's by investing love into her. When I invest love into her, I then feel more love for her. So how do we grow in the love of God? Well, we invest in that relationship with God. And the more we invest our love into the relationship with God, we actually find ourselves growing more in love with God. Okay, so it starts by knowing God. We have to know the love of God, but then we have to grow in the love of God. 
And then what John tells us is that when we know the love of God and when we grow in the love of God, what's naturally going to take place in our lives is that we then show the love of God. That's really what he says when he tells us in verse 19 through 21 that we love him because he first loved us. Then he says, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. At the beginning of the chapter, he says, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Uh, what, what is John saying? He's saying, when you know the love of God, when you truly know his love, and when you're consistently getting to know that love more and more each day, you're growing in his love, naturally it's going to outflow to showing a love to God and showing a love to people. It's just naturally going to happen. If we love, if we know the love of God and we experience that love, it's going to outflow to loving other people. In fact, that is how, we, uh, how people see the love of God, even in today's world. What he, what he says there, I think it's verse 13, when he says, Here, hereby know we, no, it's verse uh, 12, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Uh, he says something very similar in his gospel that he wrote, John chapter 1 and verse uh, uh, 18, uh, when he says, he says uh, God, no man has seen God at any time, except that Jesus came. And then we saw God through the personification of Jesus. Okay, what he says in John chapter 1 is very similar to what he's trying to say here is, no one here on earth has ever seen God at any time. So how do they see God? How do they see the love of God? They see it in us. As, as we love, then they see that love from us. That's what he's trying to say when he says the love of God is perfected in us. People see the love of God when we show the love of God. So if we know the love of God and if we grow in the love of God, naturally we're, it's going to outflow to showing the love of God. And it's easy to say... It's easy to say that we love God. It's easy to say that we love God when that love doesn't cost us anything uh, more than maybe like a weekly attendance at a church service. If that's all that loving God and, and loving people uh, it costs us, then it's easy to say, well, yeah, I love God. I go to church every single Sunday. Uh, I, I love God. But the real test of our love, what John is saying is that the real test of our love, if love is truly who we are, uh, the, the real test of our love for God is how we treat the people right in front of us, our family members and our fellow believers. We, we cannot truly love God while neglecting to love those who are created in his image. Now, for, for sake of time and just also because we're going to cover actionable love in just a couple of weeks, uh, I, I, I just want to give us this thought about showing the love of God. I find it interesting that John gives us the implication that loving God and loving people flows naturally out of knowing God and growing in your walk with God. And, and so let me say it this way. What John is saying is loving people flows from loving God. And loving God flows 
from knowing God. Uh, so we first must know God to be able to show God to, to others, to show that love to others. So just a quick application for us today, and then, and then we'll be done today. May, maybe the reason that we're not loving the way we're supposed to, okay? Loving from our soul, being defined by love, everything that we are and everything that we do is from a state of love. It, maybe we're not seeing that in our lives lived out in the way that we love our spouse or our kids or our coworkers or uh, we are even our enemies or whoever in our life. Maybe we aren't loving them the right way because we aren't consistently growing in our love for God. Uh, maybe, maybe even someone in here uh, today, you recognize you're not even loving people in your life because you don't, you don't love God. And, and the reason you don't love God is because you don't even know God. Uh, but all of us, we need to evaluate ourselves on which step we need to take next. If love is truly going to be how we're defined and, and how people define us and all of who we are, if that's truly what love is going to be that deep into our soul, if, if that is going to be who we are, then we need to evaluate ourselves on which step of the process we're in. So, first of all, do you know God's love? Have you ever come to a point where you've accepted or made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Does the Spirit of God live inside you? Do you know the love of God? Maybe that's the step someone needs to take today, is I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do I know the love of God? But then secondly, maybe we evaluate ourselves and say, am I growing in His love? Am I growing in my love for the Lord? Am I walking with Him every day? Am I in His Word? Am I talking to him each day in prayer? Am I growing in that love? And then the last one, am I showing love to others? Am I showing love to God? Loving with all of our soul, it, it starts with knowing God. It continues by growing in that love, and it's displayed then by showing his love. So which one of these steps do you need to take today? That's really where want to end it is to think in our minds which step do I need to take today it, it, if I want love truly to be who I am then first of all do I know God if I do know God am I growing in love with God if I'm not growing in his love I'm really not going to be showing his love but each and every one of us need to evaluate man where am I in this step of loving with all of my soul that love is truly who I am what I'm defined by and what people define me as, is that truly who I am? And if not, which step in the process of, of loving from all of our soul, which step in the process do we need to work on? Do we, need, do we know God? Are we growing in, in the love of God? And are we showing the love of God? Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.